You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Lou Anders. He's the editor of Pyre Books. Thank you for joining me, Lou. My pleasure as always. Lou, you posited a really interesting notion to me um, uh, via email, the idea that science fiction is dying at the center but spreading out like a fungus, um, and you cited uh, EVE Online. So I don't really know much about EVE Online. Tell me about it. What the heck is it? Well, what this is, to begin with, is is, um, uh, an idea that's been promulgating in my head for a while. Whenever I hear people saying science fiction is dying, I think that's absurd. Science fiction is not dying at all but it may be migrating out of its marketing category. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, you know, I mean, you, you can't say the genre is unhealthy when you go and you look at the New York Times bestseller list and you see books by Neil Stevenson, by Kevin Anderson, by, by William Gibson, by Cory Doctorow. You know, the genre is absolutely healthy. But what's happening is a lot of what's being written in science fiction is appearing in the mainstream, whether that's Philip Roth or Michael Chabon or Audrey Neffenedger, this so much work being done by mainstream literary writers that is science fiction that's not labeled as such. And at the same time, you can't walk into a Barnes & Noble without seeing Scott Westerfeld on a front, you know, on a recommended front table or a end cap right at the front of the store. And that's science fiction. It's just marketed as teen. Mm-hmm. So science fiction is extremely healthy. At the same time, I'm getting to the place right now where I get asked for advice constantly. And one of the things that I've just been hearing a lot of lately are new writers who want to write science fiction who come to me and say, what, what can I do? None of the, the houses will look at my stuff without an agent, and none of the agents will take on new science fiction writers right now. You know, they say they can't give it away. And, and uh, uh, can they? <laughs> pardon? Can they give it away? <laughs> no. Um, and, you know, it's a very, very difficult time right now to be a debut science fiction author. And that doesn't mean that we can't cite case examples of debut science fiction authors who are doing exceedingly well. But um, it, is a, a problem, it is a really, really hard time to get anyone interested in a science fiction novel from a, new, from a new writer. And I think that there's some contraction going on inside the category itself where the established writers are doing very well. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's very hard to break new ground as a new author. And yesterday I went and saw a press release. Uh, Tor Books announces EVE Online novelization. They've just done a big deal with the massively multiplayer online game EVE Online to do a series of books. And why wouldn't they? The Halo books are enormously successful. And nothing about this surprised me, but in the press release they praised the, the guy they've hired to write it is um, someone who's worked at EVE Online in multiple capacities. I'm going to mispronounce this, and I apologize. Hijalti Danielson, I think is how you pronounce his name, and I apologize if I mispronounced this. But they say he's the author of more than 70 short stories and associated fiction in the EVE Online universe. A visceral writer whose aggressive prose and grand operatic scope is reminiscent of Ian M. Banks and Joe Haldeman. And I'm not surprised at all at someone who's writing what I think are supplemental materials for online video games, getting comparisons to Haldeman and, and Banks. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, the Halo books are, in, uh, you know, heavily inspired by Larry Niven. Hmm. And uh, I, I, I have a, a cousin whose husband is military. He's actually a 
specialist diver in the military. He's told me once something of, uh, that he got into science fiction via Star Wars films. But instead of the usual, he said, well, Star Wars brought me to science fiction, and then I got into the book category. He went from Star Wars to the, to the massively multiplayer online game Mass Attack, or Massive Attack, and uh, was telling me how it turned him on to science fiction because unlike Star Wars, Massive Attack pays attention to physics. Hmm. You know, spaceships can't make 45-degree turns, and you know, they can't bank like a fighter plane would. They have to actually pay attention to physics. <laughs> they can't. They have to have excuses for faster-than-light drive. Whether, you know, they have to abide by the real physics of space travel. And so this game has taught him about the science of space travel. Uh, as he put it, it has all the, uh, the, the look and feel of Star Wars, but it's smart. And uh, I don't think he reads very much, but I realized he, you know, instead of coming from a Star Wars novel to a, a, a non-tie-in science fiction novel, which might have been the route 20 years ago, he's come from a Star Wars movie to a game which sounds like it is, for all intents and purposes, legitimate science fiction. And, um, you know, there's so much of this going on. I mean, I don't think people realize how unbelievably massive James Cameron's avatar is going to be. It's going to be like a... A 10-ton weight dropped in a bathtub. And now, I have to ask, aside from the fact that he's the guy who directed Titanic and stuff, i got to say that I wasn't necessarily uh, over, bowled over by Abyss. You know, it doesn't matter. The movie may even suck. But <laughs> the two things. One, he is the guy who directed Titanic, yeah, which a, made a billion dollars and swept the Oscars and was one of the biggest phenomena movies of its time. And he hasn't done anything since. Mm. which means that the mainstream attention on his next project will be colossal, no mm-hmm. matter what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, he could film himself in the bathroom, and it would be huge. Mm-hmm. All right. Then, people forget how he changed special effects completely with the Terminators, Terminator mm-hmm. 2, mm-hmm. when he introduced morphing. I mean, that, you know, before that, if someone wanted to turn into something else, you used stop-motion figures on top of each other, and it looked really crude. And morphing swept through the whole industry and completely and forever altered special effects for the better, and he's set to do it again. So the attention that the film industry is going to give this movie is going to be colossal, hmm. as is uh, you know whether the movie is any good or not. It's a fully immersive 3D environment. And I've already heard them speaking about the John Carter Mars film they're doing as being like Avatar in its immersive capabilities, or, or it's, it's, it's fully immersive artificial sets. So whether the movie is any good or not doesn't matter. What he's done is shown the way to render completely fantastical environments, you know, plausibly and believably, and that's going to change everything. And we're going to see tons of films come out in its wake which do the same thing, some of which will be horrible and some of which will be excellent. Now, I think one of the things that, that interested, interests me about what you're saying on two kind of parallel tracks, um, we have your, your uh, cousin who likes the who got through um, into science fiction from Star Wars into the games. And, and it strikes me that um, the Star Wars really captures you for all its goofy physics and stuff. What gets you about it is it's got a pretty good storyline. I mean, you know, you kind of it get grabs you up with the characters and you kind of get swept away by that. The games, I'm not sure. Story, maybe not so much. Maybe better... Uh, a better rendered background and more immersive background. And uh, again, there's this aspect of participating in the story. For games to be literature, they've still got a ways to go. But mm-hmm. I think that they have made massive strides in the last decade. 
and will continue to make those strides. And also, the number of science fiction writers I know now working in the game industry has also gone up significantly in the last 10 years. And that'll have an effect. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I'm interested in, in seeing how, you know, uh, the notion of story gets handled in games when the authors, uh, as it were, lose control of the story by virtue of the fact that they're, you know, uh, no, the, the players are controlling the, the, the storytelling style. And I'm also, one of the things that, too, that struck me now, um, Terminator, the Terminator 2 had a great story. I mean, you know, you could really grab onto it. And uh, I'm, you know, a bit more leery about uh, the, this forthcoming Avatar movie. I, not, I don't know what the, what the story is going to be. But it strikes me, too, that um, lost amidst special effects and new uh, platforms is this, you know, notion at the core of what interests us in reading and games and movies is story. And I'm, I'm curious what, where you think... Um, the science of storytelling is going in terms of, especially in science, the science fiction genre. Well, I, I don't think that films can carry themselves on spectacle anymore. You know, if that were true, we would be talking about how brilliant the Matrix Revolutions was. <laughs> because each subsequent Matrix film up the ante in terms of spectacle and special effects tremendously, and yet they are regarded uh, as having gone down, <laughs> you know, proportionally. To the, to the special effects raising. You can't do that anymore. You can't just throw the special effects out there and have people watch because every movie does that. You know, the movie to the right and left of you has equally impressive special effects. It's got to have a story plus special effects now to get the attention. When special effects are ubiquitous, special effects are no longer enough to capture public attention. Mm-hmm. That's, well, that's, that's absolutely true. So I'm hopefully, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the, the, some of these writers who are participating in the games um, and, and if they're if the people who are doing some of these upcoming uh, spectacle movies are going to, you know, solicit advice from, from writers who are experienced in storytelling, whether they be write storytelling in novels or in, in the film, the film genre. Well. I'm, I'm thrilled with John Scalzi as an advisor to the Stargate Universe television show. Oh, really? I didn't know he was, he was uh, set up as that. that yes, yes. He's, he's going to be, I don't know what the title is, but it's the creative consultant type position. And, uh, you know, that's, that's brilliant because, um, you know, when you watch something like Battlestar Galactica, absolutely marvelous on the level of the individual episode, but really broke down on not really having worked out their overarching story arcs, which is the problem with a lot of science fiction television. And, and novelists don't necessarily make good screenwriters. Screenwriters don't necessarily make good novelists, although there are people who go easily back and forth, but not everyone can. Mm-hmm. But... Science fiction writers are really good at working out the structure of a tale. Uh, a long, large story arc, yeah. That's, that's part of the nature of science fiction itself because the, the genre itself applies itself to such vast subjects, an entire world, an entire solar system, an entire galaxy. When you embark upon storytelling on that scale, you'd better be able to work out uh, th- some of the details of that scale in terms of a story. Absolutely, and it... it it, and that's where we've seen so many of the television shows break down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of bringing in an actual novelist, you know, bring him up once, twice a year to help you plot out the major arcs and then hand it over to the screenwriters, to uh, the, uh, the television playwriters, to break down individual episodes is brilliant. I think it'll produce fantastic results and hopefully 
some other science fiction shows will pay attention and hire some other writers. And, and I think uh, just to, to mention Scalzi, I think he's a perfect choice for this because he really does seem to have a grasp on the entire universe and his, his plot arcs uh, on, the, on the big scale and on the small scale. And he knows how to tell a story, too. Absolutely. I mean, again. And, and I would be surprised if we don't see some scripts from him, but I don't know that that's happening. Um, but he's, he's, he would be my first choice in this thing. If, you know, if I had a science fiction television show and we're looking to hire an author, um, I can. I, I would. I would be there too. I've been speaking with Lou Anders. He's the editor of Pyre Books. Thank you for joining me, Lou. My pleasure. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.